Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically, on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you, because Reed is definitely his own man, with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada, and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. we got a bunch to cover today. We always do. Number one, as I promised you last week, I'm going to tell you uh, some things about Africa. Several of the countries there. And after the shows that I've brought you over, over the last eight or nine weeks, the five PSYOP shows, the history of the WEF, the WEF interjection of young global leaders in 150 countries around the world, the WHO, their history, their rather diabolical plan to control every aspect of your life. I think what's happening in Africa, you will find highly instructive. You know, sometimes an old dog can learn new tricks, as they say. And you will see startling similarities in these African nations to what you are seeing with your own eyes right here in the United States. These globalist tentacles, these manipulations, this hurting of sovereign states and individuals into a collective mass under a global government controlled with digital IDs, facial recognition, voice recognition, health passports, carbon footprint passports. This is a worldwide phenomena. You know, last week I brought you a terrific delivery by Neil Oliver from GB News over there across the sea. In fact, the producers are posting that because so many people liked it and wanted to listen to it again, you AM listeners, on the website. So you can listen to it at your heart's leisure. And my point last week was that this phenomena is global. And it is not just us here in the United States who believe in freedom and the Constitution, faith, family, American values. It is not just us standing shoulder to shoulder. It is us standing shoulder to shoulder with freedom-loving people, billions of them, way more of us than there are of quote-unquote them around the globe. But you need to know what's happening around the globe to, I think, fully understand and comprehend why this is a battle for the planet. And America happens to be the linchpin of that battle. That's why all the focus on us. And then I'm going to give you some more pointers on what you can do to get involved in this fight. We began last week. We're going to continue. Because in the end, it's up to us. There's no one else, folks. (laughs) Nobody's coming to our rescue. There is no cavalry. We are the cavalry. And then we're going to wind up the show. Actually, it's going to be about half the show with a huge rat-a-tat-tat. I mean, I got so much to cover. (laughs) with you, which all ties into the shows of the last eight weeks and the show you're going to hear today, that your mind will be reeling with all the things going on in various corners, which are being hidden from you, which are being purposely ignored by corrupt corporate media, but which are vital in terms of stitching together the dots of where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. Let's start off with our founder's quote, and kind of in the spirit of freedom lovers around the world and here in the United States. Let's pick another Thomas Paine quote. Quote, independence is my happiness, and I view things as they are, without regard to place or person. My country is the world, and my religion is to do good. Unquote. I promised you an update to the ranch story last week, <laughs> getting prepared for yet another winter blast, which we're in the grips of. 
And why don't I make that part of the rant story really short? The jury's still out. Right now, I think that uh, we probably did it, but you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself again. I can tell you that it is snowing, it is blowing, there are multi-foot drifts, the temperature is somewhere around 20, give or take, below. I mean, who really cares? About a few degrees at that point. And it is uh, Wyoming at its finest winter splendor. (laughs) You bet. Getting out the bikini and the cocoa butter as we speak. But I do have a little interesting rant story for you, and I can't bring you the ending, but I can build the suspense. So looking out the kitchen window, and before I went back to the studio to start working on this show, there was a mountain lion about 500 yards out from the ranch house, plodding along through the snow, tawny skin, kind of etched against a moving snowscape and in and out of a misty falling flower and up on a ridge where he was headed are some of the horses and i watched with fascination probably for half an hour but he went up into a little side canyon toward where the horses were standing once again kind of visible then invisible as the snow squalls moved in and out and then suddenly there were two coyotes big gray coyotes that came darting out of the same location that the cat had gone into. And this was a big cat, probably 120, 130 pounds. And they screamed back in the opposite direction, the direction that the cat had come from. In the meantime, the horses gathered, kind of shoulder to shoulder, looking directly at the canyon that this cat had disappeared into. And then the snow set in, and I couldn't see any more. So I won't be able to bring you a conclusion to that little scene of drama here on the ranch until next week, but I most certainly will. And is there a moral to this ranch story? Yes, there is. There always is. The laws of the land, the energy of the earth, are relentless, relentless teachers. And the moral of this story is, when you see bits and pieces of a picture, do your best to connect, but don't make a move until you have the line threaded through the dots. Early conclusions, early conclusions, can be hazardous to your health and mental well-being, not to mention setting you in a direction that you may have to reverse. Let's get into Africa. This is not so much an historical story, so this is a slight departure from our usual format, but there's enough history in it where I think you'll, should we say, smell the comparison. Let's talk about Nigeria. This is Africa's largest country. It's been ruled by a Muslim socialist dictator who supposedly was elected, of course, at periodic times. Mohamedou Buhari. He's been in office 40 years. 40 years. There's a big election coming in Nigeria on February 25th. In fact, some of you will be listening to this show, depending upon what station you're on around the country, or when you tune into the podcast, the day of the Nigerian election. And things are a-changing in Nigeria. See if you can kind of equate this to where the United States is and where the United States is headed And for those of you over in Europe who listen on podcasts, the same for your respective countries. Nigerians are very unhappy. They're having to wait hours, long lines, just to get money from an ATM or fuel. Now remember, this is an acute cash and gasoline shortage in a country that was once Africa's largest producer of petroleum. Roughly 2.5 million barrels a day, which is now down because of the Green New Deal that Buhari bought into. By the way, as a sidelight, it's interesting if you go to the website, go to the WEF link, go to the Robert Malone paper, 
and see who's part of the World Economic Forum and Young Global Leaders from Nigeria. Ah, yes, another display of WEF tentacles. But I digress. Obviously, amidst this backdrop, not to mention inflation, there has been hugely growing dissatisfaction with Buhari's and Nigeria's ruling All Progressives Congress, APC, and many people think that a challenger might win the election. In fact, voter registration has exponentially grown prior to this election. There are now 93 million Nigerians registered to vote, and it's been fueled by the registration of young Nigerians who are particularly fed up with the status quo, and by rural voters who are incensed, as you'll see here as we get more into this piece. Now, leading up to the election, see if this kind of plays in your American minds relative to election integrity. Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission has warned that fuel and cash scarcities could disrupt payments of logistics staff and transportation of materials, you know, like papers or ballots and printing machines and stuff that are needed for polling. Coupled with this, the Nigerian Central Bank, you know, like the Federal Reserve folks, went on a mission to replace higher value 200, 500, and 1,000 Naira, N-A-I-R-A, that's the Nigerian currency, Naira notes with a new Naira note, that is a different currency. And the central bank argued uh, late last year, as it, kind of coincidentally, as the polls began shifting in favor of the challenger, that the redesign, which was announced, by the way, in late October, would force Nigerians to bank their money. Because right now, 80% of the money in Nigeria is held outside the banking system. And the Nigerian central bank, once again, check out that WEF page, folks, it said that it would limit ATM withdrawal amounts to promote a cashless society. The Electoral Commission and the federal government also contend that switching out this currency would curb vote buying, which is quite popular in Nigeria, in the upcoming presidential elections because it would reduce the number of Nera in circulation. However, anybody familiar with Nigerian elections know that vote buying occurs in United States dollars. Just like it does here in the United States. Wow. Originally, there was a deadline to offload all your old currency for the new currency of February 10th. That was extended. But somehow, even those wanting to convert their old currency into the new currency, there's not enough new currency. Hmm. Imagine that. And Nigerian banks, subservient to the federal government and to the central bank, are enforcing daily maximum withdrawal limits of between 5,000 and 20,000 Naira, which, by the way, is about $6.50 to $27 daily. That kind of give you an idea? Some banks are simply shutting their doors when customers show up demanding access to the customer's own cash. And obviously, this has caused even greater chaos in an economy that is primarily cash-based and which is suffering from a decrease in fossil fuel availability and production. I might note that Nigeria, think about the refineries closing in the United States, folks. Nigeria exports oil and imports refined petrol products because Nigeria has been shutting down and never had many to begin with its refineries. And in a further kind of twisting of the arm of the population, you know, ESG here in the United States, you know, the government accomplishes through companies, their environmental, social, governmental companies, what it can't accomplish on its own, whether that's censorship or things financial or things social. Well, guess what? The same thing is going on on a slightly different scale in Nigeria. 
In fact, there are a number of merchants now that will not take the old currency, even though it's still valid because of the date for swap being extended. So on the ground in daily life in Nigeria, this kind of unfolding crisis has led to long waits at supermarkets and gas stations and other places. Electronic payments, which the central bank is trying to force, in some cases are taking hours to complete just for a single transaction. And just as we here in the United States are undergoing this traumatic switch to green energy without having any structure or infrastructure for it in place, be it the generation or the transport or the distribution of such energy, and at the same time cutting off our right leg, which is ongoing fossil fuel production, so too, but to the hundredth degree, is this happening in Nigeria. Because Nigeria's infrastructure simply is not ready for digital point-of-sale transactions. The people most affected are not only the younger folks in the bigger cities, but the rural poor, because they're largely unbanked. There are no banks out in many of these remote areas. They have even more limited access to new currency. And now there's rumors swirling of bank managers being accused of hoarding the new currency to supply their elite customers and raising point-of-sale and ATM withdrawal fees, you know, for your $6.50 a day, if you don't mind waiting hours in line to get to the ATM machine, and if, when you get there, they have new currency to give you. By the way, the outgoing president, Buhari, tried a similar thing when he first got into office about 40 years ago. It was a total disaster, and they abandoned it. Wait to hear the rat-a-tat-tat, man. You talk about America and Nigeria. So there's seven states of the numerous Nigerian states that have sued the federal government to try and reverse this process. Nigeria's Supreme Court temporarily halted the deadline to stop using the old banknotes until the conclusion of the lawsuits, which are ongoing. However, Nigeria's central bank, huh, World Economic Forum, folks, has thumbed their nose at the nation's Supreme Court and said, we refuse to acknowledge your court order. Think about the Dems in our country. I'm going to have a rat-a-tat-tat story for you, amongst many, who simply say, it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. Keep sending out those abortion pills. Keep doing this. Keep doing that. You know, Democratic Marxists are the same, folks. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter their religion. It doesn't matter their location. So roughly 60% of Nigerians who live in rural Nigeria have no bank accounts. There's no banks, no ATMs. And all this chaos has now generated fights within the ruling party, the ACP. Buharo is limited by term limits. He can't run again. And there's a multi-billionaire APC contender, Tinubu, T-I-N-U-B-U. He believes the currency policy was deliberately crafted by his fellow party members to sabotage his campaign because what they wanted to do is ignore the Constitution and allow Buharo to remain as president. And many Nigerians, you know, people on the ground, they're convinced that the whole monetary switch policy was conceived to ensure that the APC, the ruling party, is the only party who's able to engage in vote buying because they control access to the new currency. Let's talk about your family's safety. If you listen to this show, you know our aging power grid is more vulnerable than ever. There's been 70 physical attacks on grid stations and countless cyber attacks in the last year. Imagine a blackout lasting days, weeks, months. Look around your house. Water, refrigeration, heat, light would be poof. That's why having your own portable solar power and not relying on a government grid is critical. With a Patriot Power Sidekick from 4Patriots, you get a solar generator that's quick, easy, portable, 
on the go, or even inside. And though only the size of a lunchbox, it's powerful. It'll power your phones, your medical devices, even a mini fridge. A free solar panel, free shipping, and a practically unheard of 365-day satisfaction guarantee. You can get 10% off your purchase using the code RIGHTSIDE at checkout. FourPatriots.com. Use the code RIGHTSIDE. Get 10% off. FourPatriots.com. Protect you. Protect your family. And out of all this has sprung a underdog, new, and younger candidate, Peter Obi, OBI. He's an ex-PDP. This is kind of a conservative wing, a Christian conservative wing. And he was a former governor of one of the Nigerian states. His party is called the Labor Party. They don't have any sitting governors in Nigeria's 36 states. And let's face it, voting along ethnic and religious lines complicates predictions. But Bloomberg has been doing a series of polls over there, as have local media outlets, and all are forecasting an OB victory. And his popularity is largely driven by young Nigerians who want to change from the old guard. And part of the catalyst for these young Nigerians, amongst many things, is they were highly antagonized by extreme violence from Buharo's Nigeria security forces during the protests of 2020, protesting, oh yeah, the lockdowns and the COVID conjure. In Nigeria, candidates need the highest number of votes, number one, and number two, at least 25% of votes in two-thirds of the Nigerian 36 states. If no one achieves that, Nigeria could see its first ever runoff. And all the pollsters agree that with a higher turnout, Obi will win with a lower turnout. The Buharu forces, whatever name they may go under, will grab the victory. By the way, if you don't think this population is riled up, they expect somewhere between a 70 and 80% turnout with this highest ever voter registration of 93 million. In the 2019 elections, there was only a 35% turnout. You see what happens when people of like mind stand together shoulder to shoulder. And so you know, talk about diversity. There are 370 ethnic groups, more than 520 languages, and scores of different religious sects in Nigeria. All of which, of course, confuse polling and potential outcomes of elections. In Ethiopia, Ethiopia has now restricted social media and other messaging platforms. Gee, does this sound familiar? Following kind of a fracture, if you will, in Ethiopia's Orthodox Christian Church from its more progressive wings. And they got the courts in Ethiopia to place an injunction on this rebel clergy, as they call them, and ban them from entering churches belonging to the main Orthodox Church. By the way, the Orthodox Church is accusing Ethiopia's government of backing the Splinter Group. And the Splinter Group represent, I quote, the many who feel oppressed and impoverished by Ethiopia's Orthodox Empire. By the way, as an interesting sidelight, you should see who in Ethiopia is a young global leader and part of the WEF octopus. In South Africa, the president there, Cyril Ramaphosa, is going to appoint an electricity minister. Oh, how wonderful. And declare a state of disaster because, gee, South Africa finds itself in an energy crisis. But don't worry because the government is going to exempt hospitals from mandatory blackouts that they're going to impose. And they're going to have tax breaks for businesses and households that generate their own solar power. Ah, the Green New Deal tentacles. Hmm... 
There have been staged power cuts for a number of months of eight hours a day countrywide in South Africa. You don't hear about any of this stuff, do you? Right? Mainstream media in America. And obviously, this has hugely damaged South Africa's economy. Look at what's going on here in the United States. South Africa's Resource and Energy Minister, Guid Mantashi. He recently said about two weeks ago that the power outages are costing the economy 1 billion rand, that's their currency, or about 56 million per day. That's a lot of money in South Africa, folks. And then one last little Africa tidbit to wrap up this segment. The Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS, and the African Union, which is kind of the overall continent, suspended three countries because they had military coups. Two of them justified, one of them simply about power. And those countries, Mali, Guinea, and Burkina Faso are seeking re-entry into the economic community of the West African states, which, by the way, is allying itself with the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa. You know, the new currency backed by assets rather than debt, like the Western fiat currencies. And now, let me tell you the rest of this story. In Israel, which has had relatively good relationships with most of the African countries. They've exchanged technical knowledge, instruction, academics, science for natural resources. At the same time, these upheavals are going on in Africa, although once again, barely covered by American press. And certainly not back in the Northeast, where you have your highest Jewish American population. The left-leaners in Israel, yes, they have them too, are literally threatening armed civil war. There have been demonstrations. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and Haifa, the other large cities, because Bibi Netanyahu and the conservative government wants to undo the court stacking of the Israeli Supreme Court that occurred over the last year and a half when he was not prime minister. And in some of these African countries, which are really kind of being led by the WEF, the young global leaders in those countries, for instance, South Africa, which had a fairly strong, not overly friendly, but a fairly strong relationship with Israel, Israel is now going to get banned. In fact, it's highly likely their ambassador and diplomats are going to be asked to leave South Africa. Do you see the confluence of events in those two countries on two different continents of two different sizes of two different religions? Do you see the thread of WEF tentacles? Once again, folks, this battle is global. Listen to Neil Oliver's quite stirring presentation on the website, on the rightsideradio.com. Listen to last week's show. If you haven't, catch up on the last eight shows where I started the PSYOPs, the history of WEF, the history of the WHO, and you will understand how this is a full court press around the globe by a tyrannical minority against a freedom-loving supermajority. Which brings us right to the rest of the story. So it looks like our United States representatives from the woke administration and government that we have have agreed to, and Biden's actually going to sign the WHO Pandemic Treaty, which basically gives the WHO the power to administer worldwide health mandates, lockdowns, you name it. Now, there's going to be lots of legal challenges. You know, they tried to structure it so it's not a treaty so they could end run around the Senate because under the Constitution, two-thirds of the Senate has to ratify any treaty. Seventeen Republican senators have already gotten the ball rolling and trying to undermine what's certain to be cadaver's signing of this. And the WHO, as we've discussed in the last two weeks, is a product of the United Nations, the globalists, and Red China. The protection against the WHO, folks, is stratospheric 
in terms of the Supreme Court and the courts and the Senate and all that. But it's also at the state level. The Tenth Amendment, states' rights, basically the Constitution says very specifically that any rights that are not enumerated in the Constitution as to the federal government are reserved for the states. You need to get, I told you this last week, I'm going to keep harping on it. You can sit on the couch here, level one. Remember our four levels we talked about last week? But you need to call your state representatives and your state senators. And you need to do it right away. Most states are in session right now. Many states are ending their sessions for this year, here in the next two or three weeks. This is a really time-sensitive thing. And you need to tell them the following. They need to get on SAPA, the Second Amendment Protection Act. They need to get on the abolishment of health or any other mandates. They need to get on limitations of emergency powers. They need to get on elimination of any carbon passports, carbon monitoring. They need to get on elimination of any health passports. And they need to get on election integrity. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. It is at the state level and at the county level and at the municipal level that you can stop (laughs) if heaven forbid, the WHO treaty doesn't get thrown out by the Supreme Court or voted down by the Senate or who knows what. This is where you can stop the feds and the WHO. Your state simply has to say no, right? That great word, that best word in the English language, no. But it's not going to happen unless you get on them and your time is limited. Rock and roll. In terms of election integrity, next week we're going to have on the Take Action page a really, really, really detailed, if it's from the Gateway Pundit, instruction manual on how you and your group, your community, can get involved in elections upcoming. And that's going to be a topic of discussion next week. Because obviously, if people who, shall we say, don't think American keep getting fraudulently elected, we're kind of screwed. In the meantime, here's the groups that you can join and that you can read and that you can investigate and study. And they're all terrific. The number one is True the Vote. Catherine Engelbrecht, she is terrific. True the Vote is terrific. They are the leader, in my opinion, in election integrity. Number two, Tea Party Patriots. And they'll help you get involved with your own state's election integrity team. GOP Victory. This is the RNC. It's probably my least favorite for a number of reasons, which I'm not going to discuss right now. Another one, Operation Overwatch. This is pretty new. This is for hardcore. I want to get involved in the elections. An election integrity network, very insightful newsletters, and part of the Conservative Policy Institute. Let's step back and have a little fireside chat. You know, they tell you in an airline, and I've used this analogy before, put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you can help others. We live in a very dangerous country, in a super dangerous world right now. I mean, you hear bits and pieces in the passing of your average day, but I'm going to consolidate this for you, and then you'll see where I'm going here. China is beginning to supply, and is threatening to supply more, Russia with arms, particularly drones, in Ukraine. That's strengthening that alliance. Xi and Putin are meeting, in fact, in the next month. Iran has strengthened its ties with Russia. And to a lesser extent, although still strong, with China. They're supplying drones now to Russians in Ukraine. Belarus. I mean, they are mobilizing for war, right? This is the country that sits between kind of Ukraine and Poland. The Seymour article, which detailed how the United States blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. Never mind that that's an act of war against Russia. Never mind that our government looked us in the eye and lied about it. Gee, that's nothing new. But this could serve eventually to cause a fracture and the breakup of NATO. Basically, the United States took out the heat, the cooking, the gas supplies for Europe. 
Russian forces have been put on full nuclear alert in the last week. Also in the last week, Russian frigates have been armed and they are steaming in the Black Sea with tactical nuclear weapons. First time in 30 years. Iran has now surpassed 80% enrichment capability for its long-held goal of getting a bomb to nuke Israel. North Korea had a big parade. Lo and behold, they have way more ballistic missiles and nukes than everybody thought. Red China continues its incursions into Japanese airspace over Japanese islands and, of course, into Taiwan. On the economic front, on the currency front, remember, all wars are economic. Almost 80% of the world's population and about 70% of its land area is now gravitating toward the BRICS country. China is actively setting up an economic force, if you will, kind of a NATO of the BRICS countries. And this is along their Silken Road initiative. Remember, I've told you about this before. This currency will be backed by hard assets, unlike the U.S. dollar, the Western world. And I don't need to tell you that the huge majority of manufacturing now occurs in that 80% of the planet, and particularly in China. The Western world, Europe, the United States, Canada, etc., is primarily consumptive service societies. Even the members of OPEC, including Saudi Arabia, have now said they will accept payment in currencies other than the dollar. This is a huge thing, folks. This is just in the last several weeks. If you take all this together, there's a lot of bad things that could happen. I'm not going to run around and do the chicken little like lots of commentators are. You're smart enough to figure it out. Economics and the ravages of war. You need to be prepared. Your safety, your family's safety is paramount to the success of this country in the event of a disaster and to the success of the global community who loves freedom. And you want to start with at least getting an alternate power source, which is not based on fossil fuels, which they could cut off, or electricity. In other words, electricity input, solar or wind. Get going on this. And now how about for some rat-a-tat-tat, actually lots of rat-a-tat-tat. Let's start off with all those poor folks in East Palestine, Ohio. Trump went there, good for him. He shamed our transportation secretary, P.D. Weedy, into going. I guess he's going uh, here in the next day or two. Or perhaps by the time you hear this show, he would have already graced East Palestine with his presence. But there's some really interesting things that are coming to light there. Let me give you four of them. I mean, we're all aware of the ecological disaster and what this has done to these people's lives. Totally innocent people. Did you know there was a film in 2022 called White Noise, which kind of served as a prediction. Its plot was centered on the aftermath of a chemical explosion affecting a small town in Ohio. Amazing. Just weeks before all this happened, the town of Palestine rolled out a local digital ID, primarily for health purposes and EMS responders. Two weeks prior to this February 3rd calamity, when the train derailed, the CDC quietly changed the parts per million they consider harmful on their website as to vinyl chloride from one part per million to 100 parts per million. A 100x increase. Two weeks before this disaster, that specific chemical. And of course, we now find out that the original story we were given as to how many cars and how many gallons of vinyl chloride were on this train, along with other chemicals that were not originally disclosed, almost as bad, is actually double what we were told. This is an awful lot of suspicious dots. I'll add as my final thought that Palestine, Ohio, and that county voted 77% for Donald Trump. Do you know that at current interest rates and the current national debt, this is a staggering number, 
that roughly 40%, 40 cents on every dollar of our tax dollars is going to service debt, and that our debt is now 125% of our GDP. Yet we continue to throw money at Ukraine. Cadaver was over there literally giving $500 million more of our tax dollars to Ukraine to bolster their pensions. The pensions in the United States, I've brought you this story, are in crisis. But we're sending $500 million of our taxpayer money to bolster Ukrainian pensions. But we're sending virtually nothing to Palestine, Ohio. Marjorie Taylor Greene, MTG, <laughs> got to kind of love her, she's wild. But she came up with this thing this last week, it just had the left kind of spinning. She said, you know, we need to do a national divorce. Red states go all red and together, and the blue states go all blue and together. And you know, in some ways, that makes some sense. You might also see that Idaho has approved the eastern half of Oregon joining Idaho and the state being renamed Greater Idaho. Did you know that there are talks going on between factions in conservative areas of northern Pennsylvania and northern New York State to form a new state? You are aware that there are counties in Virginia that wish to join West Virginia. I mean, all this sounds great. I'd support it all 100%. Unfortunately, (laughs) and people aren't telling you this, but you need to know, those types of things are unlikely to happen because they are precluded specifically by the Constitution. Basically, the Constitution says that an existing, I use the word state, an existing jurisdiction, an existing principality may not split to join another state, principality, or jurisdiction. Now, as to states banding together into a red country and a blue country, the Constitution is silent. Have you wondered why, even though the walls are closing in, I just love it, on liability and hopefully criminal liability as well as financial liability for Pfizer and Fauci and all the other part of the corrupt health cabal? You ever wonder why Big Pharma isn't reined in by Congress? Well, listen to these stats. This will tell you all you need to know. The U.S. Senate has 100 members, right? The U.S. House of Representatives has 435 members. Big Pharma, including their political action committees, donated $14 million to 302 members of the House and 72 members of the Senate prior to this last election. In other words, 69% of U.S. representatives are taking money from Big Pharma and 72% of U.S. senators. One of the things we're going to be talking about in coming weeks is campaign finance. I'll leave it at that. The National Archives. Oh, we now find out that they are not believers or equal arbiters of the law or federal statute, nor do they care much about their records unless the records can be used in some way, shape, or form to bolster their political allies and hurt their political foes. I brought you a story over a year ago. Did you know that they have a danger, warning, triggering material on the Bill of Rights and the Declaration of Independence? Did you know that they knew about the Biden classified documents on November 2nd, six days before the election, and agreed at the administration's request to keep it quiet? Did you know that unlike the unannounced raid on Mar-a-Lago for Trump, they gave Biden three months notice of the search of his houses via the FBI? Did you know that several weeks ago there were students, I believe they were from Indiana, they were from the Midwest, they were wearing pro-life t-shirts, you know, not outrageous at all. And they were touring Washington, and as part of their tour, they were touring the National Archives. The National Archives administrators had security escort them out of the building. Fortunately, the archives was sued immediately, and there was a temporary injunction ordered by a court, lickety-split, and back in they went. A complete thumbing 
by the National Archives of their nose at the Constitution, at Supreme Court rulings, at free speech. Do we live in Nigeria? And these people are keeping our records? Much of the U.S. is getting plenty of moisture, I can attest to that, this winter. It's going to alleviate some of the drought situations, but not all. It's going to help, or should we say delay, the inevitable disaster of the Colorado River. But in other areas of the earth, droughts continue. And with the skyrocketing cost of fertilizer and of fuel, many countries are really, really, really worried about being able to feed their own populations. Over the last year, 28 countries on the planet have banned food exports. Their countries can no longer export food. And there's another dozen or so that have greatly curtailed what can be exported. By the way, these figures are from the World Bank. Dominion voting systems. You wonder why I jump up and down about these voting machines when we could do everything less expensively, much faster, with almost 99.9999% surety that there is no shenanigans going on by going to hand ballots and hand counting. So Dominion voting systems sued Fox News for $1.6 billion. This is a week ago Friday. And their argument is that the cable news giant falsely claimed, just to boost their own ratings, that the voting machine company had rigged the 2020 election. Well, there's now paperwork flying back and forth in this lawsuit. And what's come to light in the first round of discovery and disclosure and filings is that Mark Beckstrand, he's a Dominion sales manager, he confirmed that other parties, quote, have gotten a hold of Dominion's equipment illicitly in the past. By the way, he identified specific instances in Georgia and North Carolina. And then he admitted that a Dominion machine was hacked in Michigan. A few weeks before the 2020 presidential election, and now comes out, Dominion's director of product strategy and security, I've told you about this guy in the past, Eric Coomer, acknowledged, quote, RSH, etc., etc., is just riddled with bugs, unquote. In 2019, Coomer wrote an email saying, our products suck. That's a quote. Also in 2019, he wrote another email, quote, almost all of Dominion's technological failings are due to our complete F-up in installation, unquote. And then in 2018, January 5th to be exact, he wrote an email that there was a critical bug which led to incorrect results in vote tabulation. And he went on to say, by the way, quote, it does not get much worse than that, unquote. Remember, he was bragging prior to the 2020 election in emails that have also been uncovered that, don't worry, he has this and Trump ain't going to get elected. By the way, about voting, you know, those illegal aliens that are flooding across the border, 5 million here in the last year and a half or so, because we're so kind and we're giving them asylum and they're, they're escaping their wretched lives and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, according to the Dems. Well, 160 House Democrats, think about this, voted in favor of non-citizens voting in U.S. federal elections. 160 House Democrats. Okay. By the way, you remember uh, three months ago when... Granholm, the energy secretary, and Cadaver looked us in the eye through the tube, the TV, etc., and said, we have no plans to screw with your gas stoves. And then, of course, here come the gas stove regulations starting about two weeks ago. Step back from this. Most gas stoves are powered by natural gas or by propane, which is a byproduct of natural gas. Going one step further, and remember that the United States has the largest reserves of natural gas in the world. We are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. Despite this, over the last several weeks, at the state level, folks, this is why you need to get involved with your legislature. Politicians in New York, California, and Minnesota have all proposed legislation that bans natural gas hookups in new construction. I want you to think about that. 
In Minnesota, the law specifically states that the legislation is intended to, quote, mitigate the impact of climate change, unquote. To put this in context, more than half the homes in the United States use natural gas for heating. It's cheaper, more efficient, and far cleaner than any other fossil fuel, and way more so than electric systems, as anybody who has used both knows. One of the mucky mucks at the Institute of Energy Research, Dan Kish, estimates that our natural gas reserves would last, quote, centuries, unquote. In California, the proposed legislation bans gas-powered water heaters and furnaces effective in 2030. So you're going to power them with power, but California says you can't even charge your electric cars at certain times of the day. Okay, I got it. And then Kathy Hochul, oh, that gem of a governor in New York, her statewide ban not only prevents hookups in new construction, but it stops gas sales any gas sales to all residential buildings by 2030. Ah, the magic 2030 date again. Right, Kloss? You are nothing. You will be happy. And all commercial buildings by 2035. Three-fifths of New York households, folks, use natural gas for heating. And the estimate by the Consumer Energy Alliance, this was in 2020, they figured that the average consumer, average house, nothing special, it would cost them $25,000 to convert from natural gas to electricity. And of course, they would then be paying for heating, etc. at two to three times what they're paying for natural gas. But they care about us, folks. Yes, they do. In fact, this whole concern about climate change, you know, the great albatross of climate change, it's all about us. They, they, they just want to protect us. More documents have been unearthed as the court has ordered to be released month by month from the Pfizer and the Moderna and the other trials which were hidden from us, you know, on that safe and effective jab. And by the way, they continue to be ignored, even after release, by the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the ABOG. It seems that in the trial studies, which Pfizer has been hiding, but which they knew about, can you spell fraud? Can you spell liability? Can you spell criminal act. They studied 32 pregnancies in the trial period. Listen to this. 87.5% of those pregnancies ended in the death of the fetus or the neonate. 87.5%. This is an article, by the way, by Pierre Corey, a fairly renowned doctor. And of course, none of this is being covered by the mainstream media. Once again, new articles, including this one, up on the COVID page on the rightsideradio.com. I urge you to kind of follow that page, folks. Oh, you'll just love this. I mean, they can monitor you, and they can do the facial recognition, and they can put you on the digital ID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they can collect your communications through NSA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems our government is incapable of protecting even basic emails, special operations emails. Oh, you know, how sensitive could that be? So on Tuesday, February 21, that's just a couple of days ago, the United States government said they had launched an investigation after an independent cybersecurity researcher, who, by the way, is named Anurag Sen, had discovered a Pentagon, quote, email data leak, unquote, on February 8th. <laughs> this is two weeks later, folks. The exposed emails, you'll be happy to know, contain military emails connected to the U.S. Special Ops, right, and its command structure. And this is how sloppy this was, or intentionally made sloppy, who knows. And this is from Sen, the guy who discovered this and fortunately reported it to the government, who then sat on it for two weeks. These emails were open for six weeks, folks. Six weeks. All our special operations. And it was basically, it's unbelievable. 
Sen, I'm going to read this. Sen explained that anyone who knew the IP address of the server could access the data without a password until this past Monday. And in another head-scratcher, the now-defunct January 6th committee, and by the way, I have some great videos. Did you know that 41,000 minutes of tapes, which were withheld by this committee, in which they tried to sequester, kind of like Pfizer, you know, for 60 years, nobody could see them for 60 years. You know, the Kennedy assassination, the Pfizer studies, all that stuff. Can you spell PSYOPs, folks? And our buddy Benny Thompson, you know, obviously concerned with the truth, and disclosure and transparency. He claimed that Carlson is a purveyor of misinformation, I quote. And then he said that McCarthy, quote, owes the American people an explanation of why he shared the footage with the Fox News host and what steps he has taken to address the significant security concerns at stake, unquote. May I suggest, Mr. Thompson, that you tell us why you wanted to hide this material? And it would be okay with me if that testimony was at your treason trial. All right, folks, once again, didn't cover half of what I wanted to, but next week, and next week is a coming. Look in the mirror, repeat with your family, get prepared, and say with conviction, I will muster, I will stand, I will not comply, I will never give in, I will never stop fighting, I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do, and we will win. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Keep the wind at your back, and we'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, just click on Show Archive and you'll find all of his shows. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of Reed Lance Rosenthal on the right side.